Good morning. I have a short announcement to make. This announcement is about an event that will happen tomorrow at 1 o'clock right outside the Union uh, on the grass toward the administration building side. Uh, many of you have heard by now that WGCS 91.1 The Globe uh, received the Station of the Year Award about two weeks ago. And we're going to have a party to celebrate. So join us tomorrow at 1, the 29th of March at 1 o'clock on the grass outside the Union. Inside, if it rains, we'll be inside the Union. And we'll be hearing from President Brenneman as well as Mayor Alan Kaufman and our own Jason Samuel, as well as a number of the students who will be sharing about their journey to this award. And then we'll also have cookies in the shape of a globe, and we will also have punch. So we hope you can come. Thank you. Welcome to Convo this beautiful and yet cold Monday morning. I know it's a really busy time of the semester as you see the end um, in sight, but you're not quite sure how you're ever going to make it there. So I'm so glad that you came. appreciate that you took time out of your very busy schedule to come. Um, what an appropriate time to have a convo on anxiety and depression, because I know that the level of anxiety for everyone is very high right now. As a campus counselor, I am aware of how real these issues are in many of our lives. But it's not so easy to let others know how very much we struggle. That's why I'm grateful to have someone come to share their own personal journey. Um, to hear that we aren't alone, to have someone else be able to tell their story so that we can identify with it is so very helpful. Um, Sean Campbell is um, a young adult who is from New Jersey. And he has a story. I'm not going to tell you much because he's going to do a lot of his own introduction. But he grew up coping with depression and anxiety. And he had some, um, lived in a family situation that also caused a lot of stress. And I have just had the last 45 minutes of just getting to know him. And I'm um, really excited to have him come and share and um, let us know just all that he is uh, working on to continue growing and, and having a positive impact on the world. So let's welcome Sean. Good morning. My name is Sean Campbell, and at 21 years old, I have been fortunate enough to achieve a lot at a young age, despite the fact that I have faced many mental health-related obstacles in my life. Uh, but before I get into the mental health stuff, uh, let me just first tell you about some of the cool things that I've been up to in my life over the last couple of years. When I was 17, I published a book about how television has positively influenced American culture. And before I graduated high school, I was fortunate enough, even without a 4.0 GPA or perfect grades, or didn't even have A's on my English papers, but my book was sitting on the shelves at Harvard and Yale University Library was being used as course material in college-level courses, and I had the chance to host a book signing at Barnes & Noble, uh, which, which really mind-boggled my English teacher, who gave me Bs and Cs uh, throughout much of the process. <laughs> um, didn't have any money in my family by that point, 
had not a cent um, to contribute to my college education. Fortunately, I was able to earn a full four-year scholarship to college, and I'm currently finishing up my senior year at Macaulay Honors College at Hunter College in New York City. Uh, like I said, I'm from New Jersey. This is not my first time in Indiana, but my first time speaking here. Um, I was at the Goshen Walmart at 11.30 last night and thought I bought water, but bought lemon water. So I don't know what to do about that. So anyway, <laughs> while um, just not the same, I was really disappointed five minutes ago when I figured that out. While I was in college, I started um, speaking professionally at middle schools, high schools, and universities all over the United States. And last summer, thanks to a grant I got through my school and through my scholarship, I began my work internationally. Um, I traveled to Tunisia last summer and did a service learning program through my school. Uh, and when I was there, I was basically in the summer camp for Tunisian university students studying English. And the professor that was leading this, this camp, the Tunisian professor, asked me, knowing that I do public speaking in the United States, asked me to develop a public speaking workshop for these students. And what emerged is now the cultural understanding, leadership development, and confidence building through English public speaking workshop that was very well received during my time in Tunisia. So I came back to the States last August after six weeks there and started marketing my program to organizations all over the Middle East. Currently, this summer, I have a contract to go to Yemen, um, one of the most obscure, not, I, I don't think it's obscure, my conversations with you many people uh, don't make it feel obscure to me, but our media and a lot of people in our country portray specifically that country in the Middle East as one of the most dangerous kind of places to avoid, but I'll be there for 11 days, actually on my birthday as well, doing my cultural understanding, leadership development, and confidence building through English public speaking seminar with underprivileged Yemeni teenagers. I also was in Egypt in January, and I had a big meeting there. Um, I was there up until three days before the uprisings began, conveniently left in time. Uh, but I met with them about developing programs and doing my programs and mental health programs as well all over the country of Egypt once things settled down. So I've been busy um, over the last couple of years, and I'm very grateful to, to have these opportunities um, because as I was developing, developing these things, I was also um, coping with significant mental health-related adversity in my life. Um, the primary adversity for me was growing up in a household led by my father, whose bipolar disorder and alcoholism went untreated throughout much of his adult life and much of my childhood. I also have coped with, and to this day, and probably in the future, definitely in the future, will continue to cope with my own bouts of depression and anxiety. Um, just natural tendencies to stress, um, you know, my environment that I grew up in, the genetics of my brain, all predispose me to certain types of depression, certain types of anxiety, and even symptoms of bipolar disorder, as I'll discuss. Um, but what I've learned is, in my process of self-awareness, I've learned what mental illness is. Depression and anxiety are considered mental illness. All that, all that mental illness really is, it's not a scary term, it's simply 
the disruption of a person's feelings, thoughts, and emotions that interferes with their ability to cope with the stress of life. Um, and if you think about it, we all have disruptions of our feelings, thoughts, and emotions from time to time, um, which means that on some level, we all deal with common mental illness. We're all a little bit mentally ill from time to time, and we don't have to really think of ourselves as ill. Um, this aspect of illness, a word that has sometimes a negative connotation, this aspect of illness is actually a pretty common and normal part of human experience. So I don't like to talk too much about mental illness. I like to talk about mental health because mental health is something we can all acknowledge that we have without the label or the stigma of being ill. Um, and I believe that we can maintain positive mental health simply, and with other things as well, but simply by maintaining, uh, by monitoring our feelings, thoughts, and emotions on a regular, consistent basis. If mental illness is the disruption of feelings, thoughts, and emotions, then we want to maintain and monitor our feelings, thoughts, and emotions. Because growing up, I witnessed my father's inability to maintain positive mental hygiene. And there were some pretty severe consequences as a result. As I mentioned, he dealt with bipolar disorder, uh, a, a mental illness characterized by severe mood swings. So moments of extreme, I don't want to say happiness, because that's something that in our society, sometimes we think people with mania in that really happy or energetic state of bipolar disorder are happy. I prefer to think of it as intense amounts of energy, um, grandiosity, the feeling that, think Charlie Sheen, uh, the feeling that you could, and, and, it's, I, and I watch those interviews and it's, it saddens me a bit, and I laugh at some of the, the, you know, the tiger blood and the goddesses and things like that. I mean, you gotta keep a certain sense of, of lightness, but at the same time I watch that and I, I see so much of what I've seen my father in the past as. So, you know, um, Charlie Sheen, think. I mean, that's textbook mania. This idea that you're invincible, that you're capable of anything, that you can go out and do anything you want without facing consequences or without injuring yourself or injuring others. Um, my father believed at times that he could go out tomorrow and make a million dollars. Now, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with having a kind of go-getter attitude where you'd want to be a millionaire. I, I, would never, um, I would never discourage that. But my father would justify this impulse to go out and max out credit cards, to go into a bar and buy everyone there round after round after round of drinks, or to spend money on useless items, uh, such as a bow and arrow collection when he couldn't pay his mortgage, and a jackhammer that definitely cost over $1,000 each. Uh, and reckless spending like this led my parents to fall behind on mortgage payments, and we lost our, our nice house uh, to foreclosure and had to move out of a nice four-bedroom, half-a-million-dollar house into a small apartment because my father wanted to buy jackhammers. Or not so much that, but because my father had a condition that was not being regulated that had become reckless. When my father would be in these these, um, these manic states, he would have so much energy that he could stay awake for days at a time. Uh, he could stay out and party. He could party harder than, than, than anybody. Um, that was his claim to fame for a while, definitely. Think Charlie Sheen. Maybe not so much with cocaine and ecstasy in, in my father's case, but definitely with alcohol. And um, 
sometimes, and with alcohol and like Charlie Sheen, I don't know why I keep comparing Tim to Charlie Sheen, but like with sex as well. I don't know how many times my father must have cheated on my mother before they eventually got divorced. Um, but I will tell you the story of one affair, and you can feel free to laugh a little at this story because in a dark, absurd way, it, it can be funny, and laughing at some of the absurd things that have happened in my life is one of the ways in which I've coped. And at this point, even my mother, eight years later, laughs at the story when, we, when we've discussed it. So at one point, my father uh, was seeking counseling to deal with his alcoholism. I don't know if this was a court-ordered um, counseling session or if this was on his own volition. I think it was a court-ordered thing. Um, I would, that'd be my guess. But anyway, instead of focusing on the road to recovery, my father successfully managed to seduce the counselor. And they had, they've had an ongoing relationship since that point. Um, but here's the ironic part. Back in 2004, they were arrested together for drinking and driving on my father's Harley Davidson motorcycle. So my father, having an affair with and drinking and driving with his substance abuse, addictions, alcohol counselor, however you want to call her. So needless to say, my mother got her fired from her job. Definitely something you can see happening on an episode of Desperate Housewives, don't you think, ladies? And I, I laugh at some of the stories because then there are times where unfortunately, Things get dark, things get, things get cruel, and we, we can't laugh, but we have to acknowledge them and we have to be real with them. Um, and when I tell stories, I just tell it like it is. Uh, I, I exercise full disclosure, I, there's nothing that I hide, and sometimes some of the stories can be construed as a little dark, but I want you to know what some of my honest reality was like, so that way we can talk about how I've been able to cope in a way that allows me to go out and live a happy and healthy and successful and productive life as a young adult. When I was 15, uh, the most traumatic thing in my life happened. Sometimes, just to backtrack, sometimes when my father would be in his manic states, he would act out with violence. He would be, he'd have a very volatile personality. I'm 15 years old, I'm coming home from the mall, my grandmother's driving me home, uh, the windows are down in the car, we pull onto my street, and from five houses away, I can hear my father screaming drunk. So I, I don't go in the house. I decide that I'm gonna get out of the car. My grandmother drove around town. She, didn't, she wasn't gonna go there either. And I, I decided to, to walk around the block to see if I could peek into my, onto my property and see if I could spy on, on what was going on. Now think New Jersey to uh, immediate suburbs outside of New York City. Houses are a lot more close together than they probably are here. So figure five houses is not acres um, or, or larger amounts. Not that they're acres here, but uh, no, but no, no, no. We have, we have very small lot sizes, so five houses isn't, isn't, isn't that much. So anyhow, I go around the block and I peek into the backyard, I, 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 crouch, I crouch behind a bush, I peek into the backyard and I can see onto my deck. And I see my father pointing a BB gun at my mother. And the strange thing is, I didn't react immediately. It didn't, it didn't produce this, this you know, epinephrine, adrenaline kind of reaction. Um, I didn't believe it was true, I was in a state of denial initially. So, I ran back around the block, 
I crept onto, I had to get verification. I, I crept onto my property, I ducked behind a garbage can, I peeked up, I was probably about 10 feet away from them, they didn't know that. And my father's just dangling this BB gun in the air. And at that point, I was close enough that I could see the gun, and then it became real. Then I got in touch with the police, um, and a few minutes later, ran back around the block and watched as the police came into my house, handcuffed my father, and took him away. And, uh, and I was scared because I didn't want my father to find out that I had just called the police on him, even though it needed to be done. Um, but I was also relieved that I got him out of my house. I expedited the process of, of getting him out of my house for a couple days. That was convenient. And I felt relieved because I knew that, I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but uh, potentially I could have, I potentially saved both of my parents' lives. Um, when I went back in the house, I saw a knife. Uh, he had, he, now this is interesting because when we think of cutting and we think of self-mutilation, something that, that as a speaker, when I, especially when I uh, speak at high schools, I see a lot of, um, but here's a 37-year-old man uh, cutting himself, and I, I found a knife um, with, with blood on it, and that was something that he did regularly. Uh, so, you know, that's something that affect, affects everybody. But um, went to the police station and, and had to give my account of what happened, and fortunately my father never, never found out that I was the one who called the police. Uh, but from that moment, I remember that night, it took 15 minutes to fall asleep. Uh, it was kind of that moment where I had just seen all this that happened, I was still processing it, but it was also the moment that I felt like, wow, like, I'm dealing with some, some serious issues here. Uh, I have to grow up, I have to be an adult now, in a way, and, and that's just what I have to do, I have to be strong here, and, and so I did. Um, that was my father in his manic state. When he was in his depressed, low-energy state, uh, I've seen him not be able to get out of bed. I've seen him sit inside of a closet and cry. Uh, and I've even he heard him talk about contemplating suicide. So, wide range of emotions, sometimes spiraling within days and weeks. One moment where you're gonna make a million dollars and you're gonna conquer the world, and the next minute where you wanna sit in a, sit in a closet and talk about committing suicide. Um, unfortunately, my father self-medicated with alcohol. I believe that when he was in his manic state, the alcohol was part of the party lifestyle. When he was in his depressive state, the alcohol was self-medication. When he was in his manic state, where he believed he was invincible, he saw no problems with going out and drinking and driving. Because in his mindset, he could injure no one. He could face no consequences. He believed he was entitled to go out and drink and drive if he saw fit. And even as he continued to rack up DUI after DUI, the man still continued to drive. Sometimes, if he were picking me up from somewhere, I would have to endure this. And uh, it's a frightening experience being in a car with a drunk driver, me not being the drunk driver, but me being the passenger and having no control over the situation at hand. Because there's someone driving this car who's so drunk and so mentally ill at the same time that if I say to him, you know, slow down, dad, pull over, dad, let's call mom, you know, something to, to get him off the road, um, by challenging him, by challenging someone with mania in that mindset, I would only make him angry. And the last thing I needed to do was make him angry, because then he could be even more distracted on the road. So I would just sit quietly, fasten my seatbelt real tight, and hope not to get into an accident. And fortunately, I 
I never did get into an accident with him, unfortunately, two years ago, and no one was injured in this story. I don't want to set up the story to sound like someone was injured, because fortunately, thank goodness, everyone was okay. Um, he was driving with a .288 blood alcohol level. The legal limit, at least in the state of New Jersey, is .08. So over three times the legal limit, but he had his 12-pack of Heineken with him, and um, he crashed into a truck carrying a father and his four-year-old daughter. Everyone was okay in the accident, fortunately. Um, it was my father's 16th DUI in 23 years. It made news all over my area. It was on television, everything like that. Um, because it was mind-boggling how someone was able to pass through the cracks, through the legal system, and get 16 DUIs and never serve a pr prison sentence. Uh, it was mind-boggling how a court system and how a society and how a community could enable someone with mental illness and with mania to continue committing the same acts without providing any direct services or incarceration that could calm him down. So he made up for lost time and was sentenced to four and a half years in New Jersey State Prison. I told him, I said, look, you need to get your act together. I said, I'm not enabling you anymore. Everyone else has enabled you. And, and I'm an adult now, and I'm not enabling you anymore. I lead my own life. If you want to come out and commit to wellness and, and try to like, you know, return to some normalcy in your life, then I'll be happy to support you, and I'll, I'll be the first one to support you. But if you don't want to do that, then we have to part our separate ways because I'm not dealing with this anymore. Um, and he basically said to me uh, about six months ago, he said to me, well, you know, I'm your father and you're my son and you don't get to talk to me that way. There was that father-son, you know, kind of power struggle that took place. And I said, this isn't really a power struggle. I said, you either behave yourself or we don't have a relationship, an active relationship. And he said, well, he said, F you. <laughs> so... I'm, uh, I'm in Egypt in January. I went to Turkey after that for a couple days. I'm sitting in Turkey in my hotel room in Istanbul, of all places. Random side note. And um, every once in a while, I don't know why I decided to do this. It was a rainy day in Turkey. Uh, but every once in a while, I would check the Department of Corrections website, and I could see offender statistics. I checked them, because sometimes there was rumor that he was going to be paroled out. I checked the statistics and he had been paroled out. And I was going um, back into, into New Jersey, and my father was out of prison. I don't live with my father, I wouldn't have to deal with him, but I suddenly had to think about how I was gonna handle this, and if all the things of my life were gonna start over again. And fortunately, um, he's been sober for the last two and a half months that he's been out of prison. I feel pretty good about that, of course. I'm concerned because He's not taking any medication for his bipolar disorder. I don't see that he's open about discussing it, but I believe that there is a deeper commitment to wellness that he's not talking about, because if there wasn't, he, he would already have had a manic episode, or he would have already acted out, or he would have already uh, been drunk and been back to where he was. So he's doing really well. I reached out to him just last week. Uh, we went out to lunch on Friday at a good time, and it was nice after so long to just have um, have lunch with him and we were drinking Cokes and we went and we played a game of pool at the restaurant and, and, and life is good. So I'm hoping that things are, are going to head forward and he's surrounded by a pretty good sense of community with his family and with certain select friends 
and, and, and if he's gonna commit to wellness, I'll be a part of that community, and I hope that everything you know, continues to go well. So that was me dealing with my father. Um, then I dealt with my own issues, dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, I always dealt with them and had early intervention. That way, by dealing with my issues initially, I could go out and live a happy and healthy and successful and productive life. But I know what it's like to have depressive and anxious symptoms and even manic symptoms at times. I know what it's like to need two, two and a half hours to fall asleep at night because you're, you're in your bed and you're staring at the ceiling wide awake, worrying about everything that's going on in your life. I know what it's like to, to, get, to try to get up the next morning and barely be able to get out of bed because you're either so exhausted from worrying the night before or you're feeling depressed and you don't have the reserve energy that day to get out of bed and deal with whatever stress life, uh, yeah, whatever stress life may bring your way that day. Uh, I know what it's like to really have to force yourself to do your work and tend to your responsibilities because you made commitments and you know you have to follow through with them even though right now you feel like you have no energy or you have too much energy going on and you don't know how to settle down so that you can actually focus on doing what you have to do. I know what it's like to be sitting in class and not be able to pay attention to the professor because either you're exhausted, you're dreading the fact that on this particular day you have to be there when you have bigger things to worry about, or you're using this class as a one-hour session to, um, to really process all the stress in your life that you're going to have to deal with the minute you go outside, or you're using this one-hour session as a vacation to shut off and relax from all the things you're going to have to deal with the minute you go outside. I know what it's like to receive phone calls and text messages from friends and family and just not even want to answer them and just want to shut off your phone and sometimes do shut off your phone because you don't feel like, like they know what you're going through at this particular moment and how can, how can you be social and friendly when you have to deal with whatever's going on in your head right now? I know what it's like to have moments where, or days where you're feeling so high on life, where you have so much energy. Everything, you're, you're thinking everything that has ever happened in your, or that you ever wanted to happen in your life is going to happen. Like, your life is just going really well, everything's feeling great, everything you ever wanted to accomplish is happening, and then something in your environment around you happens, and you just crash. And you find yourself at the bottom and you're at, of the food chain and you're staring up, wondering how you felt so high on life just a few hours before. These are my mental conditions, my mental illnesses, my, my mental health issues, my stress. These are the things that I deal with. Um, but unlike my father, at least, you know, pre-prison at least, I'd like to say, um, my mental health issues, my mental illness, has never significantly compromised my life or the lives of those around me. Um, immediately, I became accountable. I saw what was going on around me. I felt what I was feeling. I've never, you know, maybe initially, but I don't like to be in a state of denial. If it's painful, I still want to know. I want to acknowledge what's going on in my life. I want to be in touch with how I'm feeling on that particular day, even if it's, if, even if it's an ugly feeling. So I feel what I'm feeling, and then I decide it's my responsibility for myself, if for no one else, at least for myself, to change it. And when dealing with mental health issues and mental illness, I don't think of myself 
I really don't think of my father even, I don't, uh, as crazy or insane or troubled or, you know, just messed up. Um, and if someone is going to call me those labels or, or judge me or even my father um, because of mental illness, because of a change in, in my chemical energy in my brain, well, then that says more about them and their character than it says about me and my character. Judging someone with, uh, with mental illness would be like judging someone with diabetes. Because diabetes, that's, that's a chemical change in your body. It just takes place in the pancreas instead of the brain. So not, I'm not one to judge when it comes to, to, to challenges or mental health issues. And that all, that, that all goes into that greater topic of tolerance that we all, that we all you know, think you know, we all deal with uh, in our society on a greater scale. Um, but thinking about it, I don't really feel that, and I'm, I mean, I'm grateful for this, but I don't feel like I've ever truly been the subject of a great amount of stigma. I remember being young, at 14, 15 years old, going into school and just trying my best because someone told me to do this and I took their advice, trying my best to be myself. And I remember telling my friends at school, you know, whether it be guys, girls, different personalities, telling them that I, about the crap I was dealing with in my life. I remember telling them about uh, the fact that I was seeing a therapist at 15 years old, that I liked going to the therapist, um, that I felt I was making progress at the therapist. Um, I remember telling them and being open and honest with the people around me, and it never isolated me from my friendships. In fact, those friendships, a lot of them started by being open and honest and being myself, and the friendships I made at 15 are friendships that that I've, I've maintained today, no matter, no matter you know, what I've been up to, how busy I've been, where I've traveled, I still have those core friendships that I count on that I had since I was 15 years old that when I was going through a lot of these things. And you know, maybe my friends d didn't have issues like the ones I was describing because not everyone's parent points a BB gun at their other parent. That, that, that's, not a pretty, that's not a typically usual circumstance. But what happened was, by me being open and honest, when it was my friends' times of need, they felt comfortable being open and honest with me. And I feel like I have developed a community around me, uh, or I feel in my, my mind that I am the center of a community. And by being myself and continuing to do that and expanding that across this country and now internationally with a lot of my work in the Middle East, um, I'm forming this, this wonderful community around you know, in a, in a global sense. And when we're ourselves, we form communities because people will gravitate toward us. Uh, there is fear in terms of opening up to people, um, and, and that's natural, but taking that step and being yourself, people appreciate that. And if they're good friends, they won't stigmatize you or judge you for what you're telling them. Um, now, I'm not saying that you have to tell your friends your life story. Uh, initially, I was not as comfortable telling everything that was going on. I told a lot of stuff, but for that, that extra ripe, that extra painful stuff, fortunately, I was able to go to a therapist. Uh, and I loved therapy. I loved 45 minutes of just being able to go in and say whatever was on my mind without any feeling of stigma or shame. I, and it was 45 minutes of just dealing with me. I didn't have to deal with the therapist's problems. It was a one-sided conversation. Um, and it was just a time to work on me and my problems. And I felt that at the end of 45 minutes, I had always made progress. After about a year of, or just under a year of productive therapy though, in my teenage years, I had to stop going because my family's health insurance ran out. The reckless spending was really starting to catch up.
to my family. And, um, and that was tough. And I, I, fortunately, I had support systems and I, and I had people in my life that were helpful to me, but I would have loved to have been in therapy. And, um, you know, I just, I just want to mention, just in case you don't know, Goshen College offers free and confidential counseling services to all its, uh, to all its students, correct? Um, you know, these are professional psychologists, just like the ones that people pay $150, $200 an hour to go to, only you guys have it for free. So if that's something you'd want to take advantage of, I definitely, definitely recommend it, because therapy was so important in my development and, and my coping with, with mental illness. Um, and so there was therapy, and there was also, as I, as I said a few times before, there was also mental hygiene that I maintained on a consistent daily basis. Every day, I monitor my feelings, thoughts, and emotions. I am personally accountable for every thought that enters my mind throughout the day. And let me be perfectly honest, sometimes those thoughts are not positive thoughts. Some pretty bad thoughts have come into my mind, but that's okay, because thoughts are only thoughts, uh, and they're just ideas or feelings or concepts that randomly enter our minds and sometimes stick around for a while. These thoughts come, in, come into our minds usually as some kind of interaction we're having with the people around us or our environment. Um, th there's nothing wrong with having, we can't, or we can't control the thoughts that randomly come into our minds, but we can have systems in place to listen to those thoughts when they enter our minds and then separate the good thoughts from the bad thoughts and act out the good thoughts and modify the bad thoughts before we make bad choices. There are no consequences to having bad thoughts. There are no consequences to having bad or depressive or anxious thoughts or even manic thoughts. There are consequences for making bad choices. So we need to catch the bad thoughts before we make bad choices. And you know, I've dealt with a pretty, uh, some pretty interesting things in my life and I've experienced a pretty wide range of human emotions. And like I said, I've had some pretty dark thoughts Thoughts that people don't typically say out loud, but you know, I'm gonna say a couple of them um, because I feel like even though people don't say them, I know that people have thought them. So I'll put myself on the line and I'll go out and say them. Um, you know, there's, there, of course there's been a moment or two in my life where um, you know, my father is abusing my mother or me in some way verbally uh, or, or you know, a physical threat or something like that and uh, he's laughing about it because he feels he's getting away with it, and that just makes me really, really angry in the moment. And there's that, that, that instinct comes into mind. What if I just went into the kitchen and grabbed a knife and just stabbed him and watched him bleed out on the floor? Wouldn't that solve all my problems in this moment? Bad thought, obviously. I've had moments where I'm really depressed, and I'm, I'm, I'm in my car, I'm, maybe I'm crying about something, and I just have this vision, what if I just hit the, the gas pedal really hard and just crashed my car into the nearest partition or the nearest pole and maybe didn't wake up? Bad thought. I've had moments, um, these, this, is, this, this one even, I, you know, as recent, this is a more recent one even. Um, what if, uh, you know, I'm stressed out that morning. I take on a lot of stress now, you know. I'm, I'm managing a busy schedule. What if I just, called up someone I know as marijuana on them and we just got really, really high right now. 
and I could just forget about my stress for a couple hours and just relax for the rest of the day. Bad thought. Now, I've never done any of these things. I don't do drugs. Um, I've never tried to injure myself or injure anyone else or hurt my father, fortunately. Um, but I, I trust myself in the sense that I have self-discipline. I know I'm, I'm not going to do these things. And when these, I know that my thoughts don't define me. Those thoughts that I just said out loud don't define me. My choices define me, define how I'm judged in society, define who I become and, and what the course of my life is. So when I have a bad thought, and it doesn't have to be anything as severe as the ones I just mentioned, I immediately deal with that thought. I never procrastinate my stress. I always deal with things immediately in the moment. I assess the stress. I try my best to identify exactly what it is that's bothering me, that's causing me to have this thought. I really get to the source of the problem. I may not get there in a minute or two minutes. It might take thinking about it for days and even weeks to really identify the source of my problem. But I make that commitment to identify what's bothering me, and then once I have identified it, I try to come up with a solution that will allow me to deal with my stress in a way that allows me to live a happy and healthy and successful and productive life. Um, I also monitor my mental hygiene for, for positive thoughts as well. You know, monitoring your feelings, thoughts, and emotions doesn't just allow you to prevent the onset of mental illness. It also allows you to uncover really great uh, attributes about yourself and really great ideas that you have. Um, three weeks after uh, I witnessed my father pointing a BB gun in, in the direction of my mother, I was sitting in a car ride, a, a long, boring four-hour car ride and for some reason started thinking about television shows that I'd grown up watching with my, my great-grandmother in reruns, shows from the 1970s, All in the Family, Good Times, The Jeffersons, Sanford and Son. Some of you heard of these shows, watched some of them? Shows from the 1970s that were the first shows in television history to talk about important social topics, such as racism and women's rights, and there was an economic crisis going on at that time that, that the shows addressed. But issues more personal to me, such as child abuse, alcoholism, psychiatric care, and mental illness. And I started thinking in this car, now I'm, I'm, I'm listening to myself, I'm monitoring my feelings, thoughts, and emotions, but my ideas aren't good or bad, they're actually just ideas about TV. And I'm thinking about how these shows had a positive impact and gave me many important life lessons, and how they really did help me at a young age as I was dealing with these things right in the moment. And suddenly, this idea came over me to write and publish a book about how these television shows positively influenced American culture. If they'd impacted me, they'd obviously impacted others, and I could make a case for, for how they've impacted society. So I had a really good thought come into my mind to write and publish a book. Even though I never really ever wanted to write a book before, it wasn't my, writing wasn't my specialty, I wasn't a straight-A student in English, uh, I decided to follow through on that instinct. So I listened to myself. I was maintaining my mental hygiene even though I didn't know it at the time. I listened to myself. I had this really good idea. Then I followed through on that idea. And I persevered uh, through 70 rejection letters over, over the course of much of my high school career. Um, and Kept, kept, you know, committed to the idea that I could publish this book, 
And fortunately, I uh, got someone who wanted to publish the book, and from there, every opportunity that I had stemmed from that instinct I had in that car ride when I was 15 years old. I published the book. The book got me into college, which I was very grateful for. Then I started speaking. Then I started doing my international stuff. Everything that I've done to this point can all go back to me listening to my positive thoughts in a car ride. So when it comes to talking about and thinking about mental illness, that's why I don't like to talk about coping with mental illness. I like to talk about coping with mental health because by maintaining positive mental hygiene, we're not just making sure that we're dealing with our stress, we're not just trying to prevent the onset of mental illness or depression or anxiety or whatever you want to call it. We're also giving ourselves the opportunity to uncover our greatest abilities and really lead the lives that we want to lead. Thank you. Thank you, Sean, for being honest and being able and challenging us to work really hard on what it means to actually feel, know our thoughts and figure out what to do with them. Also, just the reality that life leads us through different things and we don't have to let that define us. I would want to reiterate that um, Goshen College does have um, counseling available. I'm not a psychologist, I'm a social worker, but would be glad to join any of you as you just are aware. Each of us has a journey and um, sometimes we just need somebody to listen to us or to walk with us. So if you need that, please feel free to uh, visit. So have a good day, thanks. <laughs>